is huge. I mean, it's like a man. It, it's big. Kane, son. You still don't understand what you're dealing with, do you? Perfect organism. Just tell me one thing, Burke. You're going out there to destroy them, right? Not to study. Not to bring back. But to wipe them out. That's the plan. You have my word on it. All right, I'm in. Let's rock! Look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. Welcome to Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Prater, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Patrick Green, Christian Motzka, and Andy Geekgirl. Welcome, Hello. everybody. Hi. Hi. Hi, Andy. It's been a while. Hi. I know. Um, it's great to be here. I'm excited. It feels like it hasn't been a while because we talk with you so much, but I guess in terms of time on the actual show, it, ha- it has, it's been too long. I feel like, you know, after the movie shoot, we had our Prosecco explosion. We had a great time with a lot of cold cuts and these are all inside jokes from the movie shoot. Um, and I feel like, but I've been, I've been missing Andy in my life a little bit the last, last Aww. few weeks. So I'm so glad you're back here tonight. Same. It's been a little crazy, a little hectic, but I'm same. I feel like I'm never truly gone right but <laughs> i think the last like the last round table i just think we've all been through a series of illness and sickness and the one time i was good i was really looking forward to it i i literally didn't have a voice so um no it's great to be back it's great to have you back so uh, i'll pass it off to you patrick if you want to uh well, then we can talk about why we're here again tonight yeah sure so i, I guess before we get into the conversation tonight as many of you know who are listening right now, there have been some new updates on the as yet untitled, but for now titled Alien Romulus project that Fetty Alvarez is putting out. Um, Jamie and I were able to sit down and do a quick little video update that was on the channel a few days ago. Um, but Christian, you know, we've been talking about this, you know, ad nauseum offline, but you weren't actually on that episode. And Andy, of course, also was not on that episode. So uh, before we kind of get back into Blomkamp, Jamie had this great idea, which is that you know, we're in a position again where we have a project that we're talking about that isn't actually here yet. And so kind of speculating, uh, some of our deep-seated anxieties might be surfacing and some of our deep excitements might be surfacing. So how how is this sitting with you both? And like, what are you, what are you feeling right now? I'm fascinated by how little we've been given and how overblown people's reactions seem to be to it. Like, the, the synopsis could not be more basic. Some young people on a faraway planet run into the alien. That's pretty much what it is. And I saw people say, that's it. I'm done with this. This movie's over. Like, what are you talking about? That's, <laughs> that's just, we know that there are, are people and we know there's an alien. And now we know that they're on a planet. That's all we've gained. But I think that, as you said, Patrick, it's like this anxiety that's built up and it's documented. We understand why people feel this way because we keep having that carrot dangled of this time it's going to be good. And then it isn't, or maybe it's more like Lucy and the football. Is that what we're dealing with? Are we all Charlie Brown being asked once again to run up and kick that football? So beyond that, it's a bunch of new actors that I really have no knowledge of. Uh, I, I did a little bit of IMDB searching 
one guy was a, a, a vandal in the Batman, like somewhere he's in the background, like spray painting a wall. And that's like his major movie credit. But I see that as an amazing opportunity. Sometimes you get these, these projects where they've brought in so many um, uh, big name actors, like remember Copland? It had too many people. Every single person in it was somebody famous. And sometimes that works, but like a project like this, I want this to be the first time I see these actors. I want this to be the thing that I recognize them for going forward. So those are my thoughts. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that blank slate of actors, I mean, sometimes the 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 greatest actors or the biggest movie stars started in, you know, we obviously at some point we didn't know who they were, but you know, there was a movie that made them. And I'm not saying that's what's happening here, but it's nice to just kind of start with a clean slate. Now, I think people's reactions is always I think the default these days is just I'm going to say I hate it right away because then if I do wind up liking it, bonus, right? It's a great surprise. But the baseline, I think everyone just starts off that way now as, you know, I see one thing about it and I, you know, for whatever reason, I don't like it. It's not people my age. It's not, you know, if they look different than me or whatever, for whatever reason. And um, I think... You know, I'm looking forward to a fresh take. I'm hoping it's a fresh take based on what we saw. You know, I'm hoping it's just not another recycled, you know, 10 little Indians, one gets picked off at a time sort of thing. I hope there's some kind of new uh, story we're getting from that. But I don't know. I think I take people's reactions now with a grain of salt. Just I'm going to go into it just hoping that I love it. And if I don't, okay. But if I do, that's amazing too. And just not go in, you know, one, I feel like people want to hate it and I don't, I never want to hate anything that I'm, you know, excited to see. So that's where I'm coming from. It's almost like hating things is the new cool or something like that's people's default. And uh, I can understand being wary, certainly with Alien. There's a lot of, we've discussed this recently, Patrick and I, there's a lot of wary fans because it's been disappointment after disappointment, which I can really understand. But the way that this is being positioned right now in terms of this new cast that are relatively unknown, Kaylee Spaney, I think, is the most prominent. She's sort of in that position that Sigourney Weaver was in where she was, she had some things under her belt, but she wasn't a star. She was still essentially a nobody. And this is exactly the cast that we're getting. So I, I'm hopeful. And they are young, but if they can act and they can uh, read their lines well, no one's going to care. And probably 98% of all those people complaining will be there when the film drops. So, But it's also a great study, I think, in how rage bait works and how it's a lot of the time it's it's in the hands of the companies that that try to make clicks out of this shit like for for example when isabella merced was announced like every single you know story ran with her and as dora the explorer with a backpack on which like of course is going to bring those people out right like it's just it's playing right into that need to be like oh like why is dora the explorer making an alien movie when she's done all these other things that are really great but you know andy as you were talking i was thinking um like amber mid thunder is a great example of this right she's an actress who of course played naru in 
and Prey, who I I personally did not know from anything before that movie came out. I know she had done things, and I know that she was on other radars, but definitely not mine. But I'm like never going to forget her now, and like everything that she's in, I'm going to see. And she was very young. This is one of her first really big credits, and that's the kind of like that's what great casting does, you know. Great casting finds people out there who just fit perfectly, and it and it doesn't rely on you know bankability to get people to go see a movie and people see it and then they become legends in their own time, you know? So I'm really excited about that. And speaking of legends, we got some patrons to read that I almost forgot to do at the beginning of the show. So I'm going to do that. And then, and then if anybody has anything else to say about this, we can circle back, but um, I want to make sure we get these in because we have had the by far most successful two week period we have ever had in the history of our Patreon and it has been bonkers. Like, I mean, we're about to read your names, but we have been so excited and it, we are just over the moon thrilled. And this could not have come at a better time. For one thing, our website domains just renewed. And um, in the past, I've been paying personally $200 in cash every single year to do that on our Shoulder of Orion website. And this was the first time where I was like, oh, I don't need to, we have our Patreon money. Like, we don't have to pay this in cash and reimburse anymore. And Jamie likewise just um, did for the for PO. That is like a great example of a tangible way that Patreon is making it so much better for us and so much easier for us and so much less expensive for us. But also, we are now in the home stretch, the final month and a half of post-production on our short film. We have incredible stuff to share with you. Maj, who is our, he's our DP, director of photography, has been doing some amazing stuff with uh, miniatures, including the one made by Xander House, who many of you know, but also with this creature composite thing that we've been putting together that he's really taken the lead on. And you're going to be seeing lots of that in the coming weeks. And also from a personal perspective, as I get more into the score, which I've already started, and I'm going to be doing quite a bit more in the coming weeks on, um, you'll be seeing exclusive score excerpts there as well. And hopefully some kind of behind the scenes stuff uh, for me in case you're interested in how the music works too. So uh, without further ado, let's get to these patrons. <clears throat> so starting on March 1st, we have Ian Hughes, Nick Bro, Jacob Abraham, Hannah Toops, Francisco Martinez, and Frederick Faith, who just joined today. And that's so that's in less than a week, which is just incredible. So thank you to all of our March patrons so far. If you want to join them, head over to perfectorganism.com slash support or just search us up on Patreon. And for just $4 a month, you get access to tons of stuff, including an episode that we're about to record in a couple of days. It's going to come out on the 10th and you're going to have to stay tuned to see what that is. And without further ado, this is our part two of our Blumkamp discussion. The first discussion was really about where we all were when it was announced and what that announcement was like kind of happened over the course of the next year, conceptual images dropping while Alien Covenant was had been announced, it was being filmed, and our, our reactions and thoughts about that whole scenario, that whole, that whole journey, because it really was a journey. And for this uh, episode, for episode two, we really want to dive into kind of post-release Alien Covenant and... We are going to talk a little bit about Alien Covenant, but we're talking about it in the context of the Blomkamp film, because the Blomkamp film, which feels like it was made, but it was never made, really, really affected how they moved forward with Alien Covenant in a way that I've never, I mean, maybe that's happened, but I'm sure it's happened before with other films where things are announced or people get excited about other things. And so the filmmakers in the studio then retool things to ring people who are excited about the other thing on board. I don't know. Like for instance, um, I think 
Is it God of War? It's going to be a live action series on Amazon. It was just announced and there's already comparisons between what they're going to do with that show and what they did with The Last of Us on HBO. And there's been some commentary saying that the gauntlet's been set. The bar has been set for God of War, seeing how amazing The Last of Us is. The people behind the the people behind God of War can't really fumble the ball, really. That's that's kind of how high the bar is. So conversely, with the excitement of Blomkamp's film, it really, in my opinion, changed how people were anticipating Alien Covenant in a way that Alien Covenant was destined to fail, in my opinion. I was really excited when I heard that you were at least potentially at one point in time thinking about doing an alien. Yeah, it would have been cool. What happened? It's just, you know, just studio politics and the... Um, I do I do think that the way that Chappie was received probably p- played a role in me not working on Alien. Uh, but, you know, it's it's Ridley's world that he created, and it's like, it, it should be his to do what he wants with. So it, it it's, it's all good. Yeah, I get that. But still, it would have been fun. Yeah, I w- it would have been fun for me as well. I mean... The, the thing that I, I would have really enjoyed about it was Sigourney Weaver was really down for what I'd written. And she, that the main thing to me was, even though I like Alien 3 and I love Fincher as a director, I just wanted a version of, of the continuation of what happened after Aliens. And for Newt to be alive and for, you know, for Ripley to continue that story. Um, and it's, it was sort of based on that idea. Is the so. kid who played Newt, how old is she now? Um... I, I mean, in my story, she was she was in her uh, kind of mid twenties. Um, I mean, in reality, I mean, Alien just Aliens just turned thirty five, so she must be you know, like forty four or something. Isn't that wild? Yeah. I really want to play whatever sport Jamie was just describing in his mixed metaphor, where there's a gauntlet, a ball, and a high bar. <laughs> I want to know what the sport is. <laughs> <laughs> Having said that, I'm I'm teasing Jamie. Um, I do want to hear what Andy, uh, what her experience was with the whole release uh, and an announcement with Blomkamp, but also just throwing this out there, I, I've done a little research and two examples I can think of that we should be kind of keeping in mind was Star Wars Underworld, which was a television show in the early 2000s that George Lucas wanted to make that was about like the, the underworld on Coruscant. And there's even a little bit of footage online of, of what they were going to do with that. And that was canceled, but bits of it, bits of scripts, bits of ideas have have shown up in the Clone Wars cartoon, in the Mandalorian, in Andor even. So that sort of lived on as, as something that inspired later shows. And then the other one was in the late 70s, there was a Star Trek reboot with the, most of the original cast coming back called Star Trek Phase Two. They had sets built, they had all kinds of things designed they had new cast members hired who were then let go because with the success of Star Wars, the motion picture, they made Star Trek, the motion picture in 79, I think it was. And there again, the unused scripts from that show were fodder for the next generation. Um, what, eight years later, nine years later. So that's a little bit of context of places where this idea has happened. And I think that we can see where at least the spirit of what Blomkamp had intended has shown up in other places, Covenant being one of them. So Andy, what did you think when you first heard about a Blomkamp reboot of Alien 3? 
Well, I don't think it's a surprise as an unabashed aliens uh, lover. Um, I was ecstatic. I had always dreamed of that, you know, because in my mind, yes, I appreciate Alien 3 now. But again, as a 13, 14 year old, when I first saw it, I was like, this is not this is not the story for me. Um, so when I, when the rumblings came and then the, the images were released, I was all in, um, I had seen district nine, um, and I, I really liked it. So I had this high hope of, oh, there, here's somebody who can take the story based on the images. You know, it just seemed like, uh, as time progressed, like, is this really happening? I didn't think it was happening at first. So my baseline was no, because there's no way, right? But then as the rumblings got louder and as it became, it seemed like it was becoming more of a reality, I allowed myself the hope of it um, happening. So there was a little bit of, maybe more than a little bit of um, disappointment as, you know, I, I, as I learned that this is not in fact happening um, over the years. And I listened to your, your first episode and I agree with many things that you were saying in regards to Blomkamp himself. Um, had he been the best choice for this looking back, probably not, but had it actually come to fruition I probably would have seen it like 10 times in the theater regardless. <laughs> so that's, you know, that's my honest take on it. Um, it was just, it was, it's heartbreaking when you have wanted something for so long, it's almost there again, and then it gets taken away from you. It is the Charlie Brown football, you know? Um, so I've dealt with it. It's all good. <laughs> But I really, I did want it to happen. And if it, listen, if they announce that it's happening tomorrow, again, I'm going to see it 10 times in the theater. I don't think, I don't think it will, um, obviously, but um, I'm interested. The last, the when you ended the episode and you talked about how this affected Covenant, I totally think the two are are linked and how the, the reaction to Covenant is definitely linked to the reaction or the hopes that people had for this. Um, so it'll be interesting to talk about, but um, I'm kind of where you guys are at now with it, but I I think it could have been an interesting uh, take on it. And something that Christian said in the last episode where, you know, I know a lot of people on the internet have these hopes of, oh, they're a happy family now and they're going to have this happily ever after. At no point did I ever think that that would happen too. And I don't, nor should it, because the absolute trauma that all of them have been through, not to say that people who have gone through trauma can't have a happy ending, but I think there could have been such an interesting uh, story there of where they go, you know, maybe they drift apart, maybe they come together for whatever reason, because um, their stories are linked now, right? They're they're linked through this shared experience that's not, obviously not a happy one. And where do they go? I think it could have been a very interesting story. 
that doesn't just give us the four of them fighting aliens and, you know, a feel good story. I don't think it definitely, I I don't think it would have been, nor should have been a feel good thoughts. Here here comes, here comes Dr. Rorschach again. Uh, You know, I I think uh, there's, there's a lot that I want to touch on it and what you just said. And before I do though, I want to point out that star Wars underworld supposedly is done, or at least there's, there's dozens of hours of it that George Lucas says are just sitting around on a shelf somewhere. So that's something that like, and if you, if you go to IMDB, it still says that it's a planned series. Like it's still supposedly going to come out. It's obviously it's not. I mean, we've all seen footage from it. It looks like garbage. It seems totally derivative. And it's also now been duplicated in other places. So it would be ludicrous for this thing to come out at this point. And also it's from 20 years ago or something, but like, that's another example of something where you have this big director who just kind of keeps something in the news cycle periodically, but like there's, it's never going to go anywhere, which is super frustrating. But again, with Blomkamp, what's happening is that there's this phantom there because like there, there actually wasn't anything at all other than maybe a story or maybe something of a script. So that's an interesting case study that I want to you know, maybe towards the end of tonight, talk about a little bit is about like how we reconcile that, that we have this vacuum that's been created by the non-presence of something, right? And how that's kind of changed the way that we talk about it. But going back to what Andy was saying, I was kind of doing some soul searching after the last episode where I got a little a little crankier than I anticipated getting on it because I thought I was in a really good place to talk about this. Like I, I didn't think I had any like, because there's no reason to be grumpy about something from that long ago still. But I was like, why was I cranky about it? And I think it's because, and I think most of my perception of it was really colored by this idea that we live in a time where people are getting a lot more of something that comforts them and that's kind of becoming the main draw to get people in theaters. So that's why we have 700 Fast and Furious movies. That's why we have Jurassic Park that's been driven into the ground over and over again. That's why we have this like incredibly divisive sequel trilogy with Star Wars. That's why we have Star Trek series on television that nobody likes anymore. That's why it's just all of the the the, the ever going franchisement of things has been frustrating for me for 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 some reason. You know, it, it's not like I even don't like a lot of it. A lot of it I do, but to me, what my entire perception of this thing was colored by seeing Sigourney Weaver in it, like in the concept art and as being a part of this thing. And it felt to me from the beginning, like it was undoing all of like the hard work that we had done as fans in reconciling what happened to Ripley and not saying that's actually what it was, but from my personal experience, I I think part of it was that. And so when I saw Hicks in that, even though he looks decrepit and wounded, you know, in my head, I was like, oh, this is like a feel-good thing. It's, you know, give people more of what they want. They want more Hicks. They want more Newt. They want more Ripley. They want Colonial Marines. They want dropships. They want, you know, I was like, this just feels like, it, it feels like let's play into fan service a little bit because it'll get butts in seats. And the other fundamental truth that I still hold by and that I've been thinking about a lot the last two weeks or last week since we recorded the last one is that this would have been the most successful movie in the franchise since Cameron's film. And I, I I mean that wholeheartedly, even if it had been dog shit, which I think it probably would have been because of Neil Blomkamp, this would have been a huge hit. And that brings me to this other question, which we don't have to get into because I'm already kind of taking us off track, but just something to think about is <clears throat> like, this would be the win, right? If you brought back Colonial Marines and you brought back characters that everybody knows and you have a queen and you have big effect sequences and it's bombastic science fiction, people will see that, right? When people go to Alien Covenant, you're not really going to please anybody because you have people that are going there who don't want that, who 
don't get it for a lot of the movie. And then you have people who are going there to get it, who have then sat through two hours of a movie that's very different from that. So it, nobody's really happy because it kind of meets somewhere in the middle. And um, and I think like had we gotten the Blomkamp, had the Blomkamp film been what it appeared to have been, which was very tech heavy weaponry, artillery, colonial marines going into battle with hordes of aliens. Like, you know, people would have seen that. My kids would have fucking loved that movie and I would have loved taking them to it. And that's the other thing is, you know, The Force Awakens for all the shit that I give that movie. We saw it probably seven times in theaters and every single one of those times was with my children. And every single one of those times we brought toys into the theater. We dressed up as Wookiees and shit. You know what I mean? So like there's a place for that, too. But I think part of my reception of the movie was colored by the fact by this feeling that aliens shouldn't have that, that like it shouldn't be made easy and palatable for people. And that could be my own personal prejudice and hangups because, you know, maybe I don't really know what I'm talking about, but I guess to kind of get, get us back into something closer to this episode. I do think it's impossible to talk about Blomkamp's film without talking about Covenant because Covenant is actually the only thing that was produced coming out of Blomkamp's movie, because we know that the direction of Covenant was changed largely because of the Blomkamp announcement and because of public opinion and because of this like weird public feuding between Scott and Blomkamp in the studio and blah, blah, blah. So like, so we do have so to some degree the Blomkamp movie, but we have like the after echo of it in Alien Covenant. Does that make sense? It makes sense. And as you were talking, what I was thinking is when I remember, I remember going to see Covenant for the first time, but the entire time I was watching Covenant I was thinking about the Blomkamp film. Like I knew that the movie that I was going to go see wasn't the Blomkamp film, but I knew the movie I wanted was in the wings. So I can imagine for the audience or an audience uh, of lay people who are maybe following along with Blomkamp's, you know, dropping of concept design and story ideas or whatever. People Sometimes people don't know, like they think, well, this is the movie I'm about to go see. And then when they release um, some teasers from Covenant, as we discussed before, Catherine Waterston is looking very Ripley in her tank top and her gun and her short hair. And then there's scenes of the, of some of the, uh, I don't know what you'd call them, colonists or crew coming off the, the drop ship with guns, uh, uh, you know, kind of a wink to aliens just a little bit. So there's this setup, like, in my opinion, it's confusing. It would be confusing to people to go see this movie because people probably there are there are probably people who thought those clips of Catherine Waterston that we saw was probably Sigourney Weaver, even though we know it's not. Some people aren't as clued in or as as uh, locked in as we are, or even more uh, maybe fans who aren't as rabid as we are, but who are our big fans. Some of them aren't as clued in either. So I could see them thinking maybe that was Sigourney Weaver. So again, you it's all of this confusion happening, and then people are going into the movie theater. And then on top of people who were thinking, oh, is this a sequel to Prometheus? Oh, I don't know. Where's Elizabeth Shaw? What is this? What is this movie? Oh, this feels like Alien. Oh, they're re is this a reboot of Alien? Look, another beacon. They have to stop. Another day. Like, it's, there's so much confusion happening with the way they're marketing the film and with what Blomkamp is doing kind of in the interim or kind of on the side while this is all going on, while people are are talking about Alien Covenant, he's dropping these, these hints here and there, which, in my opinion, 
it sabotages Alien Covenant in a way. And I don't know if that was his intent. I don't know. Patrick maybe thinks it was his intent. <laughs> I don't know. But it's weird. So you have all of this, all of this coming behind and coming after this film. So it it was again set up to fail. But I, I also I want to um take an opportunity to talk about this movie in the way where maybe it would have been the hit. Maybe it would have been a big hit, even if it was dog shit. Maybe it would have been confusing, but I believe that Alien 3 keeps the original trilogy honest. This movie would not have done that. This movie would have taken the carpet from underneath Alien 3, and it wouldn't have been as honest. It would have been this like, oh, we sort of made a mistake. Now we have to like kind of retell this story, but we're not retelling it. Alien 3 keeps Ripley's story honest, and maybe people don't like it. We know there are plenty of people who don't, but it's the it's the sequel that that original trilogy or two films really, really needed, despite how crazy it was to make it. Whereas I feel like this film wouldn't have had, if of course alien three hadn't have happened, maybe they could have made this film and it would have been an honest sequel, even if it would have been, you know, 20 years later, say alien three wasn't made 25 years go by and they bring Ripley back into the alien universe. This would have been like, okay, we're ready for this. Let's go. Where's Ripley been? What's going on? Where's like, it would have been, we would have been ready for this, but with alien three out there. And then they, I mean, they still sell box sets of alien three. So clearly, even though Disney maybe not, might not be, they might not look at alien three as like, this is the film that we want to make. Obviously they're not. They want a film that makes money. They're still selling it as, you know, a set including alien resurrection. So uh, this, this is a sequel that lives and breathes and it is the end of the character of Ripley that we know. And I don't think that Blomkamp's film would have had the benefit of, of that kind of honesty. See, I take it more of as resurrection, not being the honest sequel and you know what I mean? And this almost being a course correction for resurrection. Because we got more Ripley, quote unquote, it wasn't really her, but we got more of her after her death. And this was almost like, mm, we that's no, we don't want to end it on that. It was almost like correcting resurrection, I feel. Hmm, interesting. Okay. But at the cost of Alien 3, because this would, Blomkamp's film follows directly on from Aliens 30 years later. I think the hard part without having the, the finished film or any film to see and compare, I don't know that we can completely make that judgment call, but this is a prestige, even though it's horror, even though it's sci-fi, this is still a prestige series of films. When you look at the original four based on who directed them, um, all four of those directors are, are considered very visually uh, gifted. They're, they're visionaries, whatever. So, the idea of, of telling the public for studio to say, wait, wait, take those films back. We have something new to offer you. That's not something that a prestige series of films does. That's very much something that horror movies will do. And you'll get, you know, direct to video um, sequels and stuff like that. And then those don't, those don't count or something. I know I brought it up last time, but Halloween is the, uh, the reigning champion of, you know, this flow chart of how you want to, uh, what you want to accept from this, this film series and what you want to get rid of. And it blows my mind that the new Halloween films actually 
uh, don't include John Carpenter's own sequel to the original film. That's just talk about, you know, kicking dirt at the person that started the whole thing. But so I don't think that Fox ever would really have wanted to be in the position of telling the public, we made a mistake, forget those two movies. Here's a new one. That's just a, that's a really strange position for a studio to be in, especially as Jamie was saying, you already have people who are casually taking this stuff in. And that's a lot to ask. I remember when the, um, the Phantom Menace came out, a friend of mine went to it and came out of it fully believing that he was seeing the story of young Luke Skywalker. There was a little blonde kid on a desert planet. That must be Luke. And I had to explain it. No, it says right there, this, this is Anakin. This is his father 30 years before or whatever it is. But he thought he was a Star Wars fan. He went to see this movie and it didn't make any sense to him. So yeah, Catherine Waterston's character looks vaguely Ripley-like. And we know that Ridley Scott was actually toying with the idea of having her be Ripley's mother. So there, it would have been even more confusing. It was going to be Susan Ripley or something. So anyway, I'm not sure where I'm going with all of this, except that um, Blomkamp's alien, Aliens sequel, whatever he was going to call it, fundamentally would have uh, put a rift in how the films were, were marketed, how they were boxed and sold to the public. And also that you, you have that idea of a studio telling the audience, you now have to choose. It's a, it's a choose your own adventure or a fork in the road. And I don't think that's really where they wanted to go. Yeah. The, the idea of like how this sits within the way that horror is treated with sequels is interesting, I think, because we're really living through the age of the requel now, right? We have another one coming out in three days that I'm going to go see for my birthday, which is the new Scream movie, which is probably not going to be very good. I actually like the, the Scream 5 quite a bit, but that's another example of like, they just renamed, like last year, it, it wasn't Scream 5, it was just Scream, right? When Halloween 2018 came out, it wasn't Halloween 2018, it was just Halloween. It's like, it's like they're just, just start from the beginning again and like continuity is kind of in there somewhere if you want. And then they drive into the ground again, like the Halloween trilogy, the, the new one which started with this very, very, very strong film in 2018 and then gave us just two horrible movies after that. And um, I don't know why that's become like the, that's the thing to do with, with horror franchise. Hellraiser is a good example of this too, although the new one was great for that. Anyway. Um, yeah. Like that's, that's interesting because it is, there is a prestige to this film series. Like there is a, like you said, Christian, there's a real sense of like, this is important and this is like art with a capital A. And I think that, that has been something Fox has wrestled with all along. Like in the beginning, they had Alien, which was a, you know, genre defining work of art. You know, like that was something that science fiction was never the same again after that, because even if it wasn't sci-fi horror, there was no way that the forbidden planets of the years immediately prior to it would ever look relevant again, because there was just this realism and this depth and this get out your drinking glasses, verisimilitude. Um, that they had to deal with, right? So like you have, and then you have aliens, of course, which was a high watermark in action horror and blah, 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 blah. So like, what what do you what do you do with that? Something that I'm thinking as we're talking about this um, is going back to something Jamie was saying, which was the way the marketing pivoted in the lead up to Covenant, which was really uh, unsettling to me as a, as a fan of the movie. Because to me, like the way that Covenant was first shown to us especially when the, that 17 minutes was released on, uh, you know, for the fort, was it for the 40th? What was that for? It was for the 40th. Yeah, it was actually 10 40th minutes. anniversary. It was yeah, 10 minutes of footage. Yeah. And um, that 
was like, I mean, if, if, to this day, that's my the, my favorite thing I've ever seen related to Alien in, in my lifetime because that was like everything that I love about Alien condensed into ten minutes and it's coming back to life again when I'm an adult. Like I was like, how is this happening? You know, and so that's what I really wanted, and that that's what I was carrying through. And then I remember specifically, I was in Vermont at a friend's birthday party. We were doing like a weekend in Vermont and the last cinematic trailer came on, like trailer number three. And it was just like, it, it might as well have been, you know, the score from aliens with fucking brake drums being hit with metal. And like, it was just like gunfire and Catherine Watterson running around. And I was like, this is not, this is not the thing that I saw a few months ago. And I, there was, there was a real sense of like, fuck, this thing's going to go off the rails. And of course, I do think, as Jamie was alluding to earlier, that that was intentional sabotage by Neil Blomkamp. And I think there's absolutely no way to see it as anything but that, because a week before the international premiere of Alien Covenant, he released more concept art and had this whole thing on Instagram about how he would have made this movie if he could have made it within within hours, essentially, of the movie coming out. And I think that like that coupled with the kind of breakneck marketing of like, wait, what are we actually going going to see? I think it really set Covenant up for failure. But I also, I'm not giving Covenant a pass because I think the Covenant itself is messed up because it was trying to address the Blomkamp thing and what people wanted to see. And I think there's no way, as Christian beautifully put it, there's no way to see this other than a game of exquisite corpse where it really is just like different movies that have been put together, not only because of Blomkamp, but also because of Ridley Scott, because before that came out, he wanted to make like, I mean, it might as well have been hundreds of movies. He had this whole grand arc of, you know, multiple trilogies that he wanted to do. And then in the context, in the, in the course of leading up to production on covenant that got scrapped. And then he went back in the news and said, Oh, we're going to do like four movies. And then it was three movies and then he didn't say anything more about it, but it was clear that he wasn't going to do the seven or whatever he wanted to do originally. So then I get the sense that then they bring more writers on to try to squeeze more of that into Covenant to try to like shorten the time gap a little bit. And then they're like, oh, well, we have a lot of people on Twitter who are really angry about this Blomkamp thing not happening. Let's like do at least something in the marketing that might get them excited to come anyway. And I think like to get stuff in the marketing, we have to have some of that in the movie. So let's like maybe the last 20 minutes will go slam bang. Oh, because another alien on the ship. Oh, oh, oh. You know what I mean? And that's why it cheapens it so much at the end of the movie, which is really unfortunate. Uh, but that's kind of going back to what I was saying in the beginning is that like we kind of have, we have like the, you know, when you uh, do photography, film photography, you have a negative image, right? And you process that to get the, 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 and the non-negative image of it to get like the actual, the film, you know, uh, proof. We have like the negative image of the Blomkamp movie in Alien Covenant, I think, because the same people at Fox who knew of the Blomkamp project had some degree of input, one would have to assume into Covenant, had some degree of at least editorial input into it, right? So like there were people there who knew what the Blomkamp movie was and knew what people wanted to see in it and said, can you do a little more of this? Or like, can you maybe like do give us a little bit of this kind of stuff in this thing? And I think that that's how, like, if if anything, that's as close to the Blomkamp thing being made as we have, you know? What I also find fascinating is that, and I alluded to this earlier, is with Covenant, there's the expectations of the end of Prometheus. Uh, Shaw goes and says, I want to go to where they're from. She finds a ship. She gets David. She gets his head. She puts his body in the ship. And, you know, she has like a, a final soliloquy of her own similar to ripley's in alien and she's off to the engineer homeworld 
And then with Covenant, that's all disappeared. No one knows what's like, you don't see, you know, you see Walter, which of course looks like David. So there's a little bit of a tie and that's it. You don't see, you don't see or hear anything about Prometheus. So not only is Covenant not the Blomkamp film, it's also not the Prometheus sequel either. And then on top of this, you have this chatter happening, and we've talked about this before. We talked about it when Aaron was on the, the show probably a year or so ago in terms of Ridley Scott made a statement like, oh, you know, in light of Covenant not doing well, Ridley Scott says, oh, you know, they, you know, I, I didn't want aliens in it, so I put aliens in it, and it didn't work, and I was right, when that wasn't the issue the whole time. The problem with Covenant not working wasn't about the aliens. It was about the setup. What movie are we going to see? And nobody knew. Nobody knew what movie we were going to go see. And by the time we saw it, it was like, even though that first 45 minutes is relentless and it's amazing and it's gripping, even though I also believe that that 10 minutes that they showed at the Alien 40th screening, they should not have showed that. That was some of the best uh, stuff in Covenant that they completely just spoiled. And they were spoiling the fuck out of Covenant. They were spoiling it left and right. Even in the poster, you see all the, like, it was like, oh, they want aliens. Let's give them aliens. And so nothing was mysterious. Everything was spoiled from day one, even before the movie began to what you were saying, Patrick, because they were like, oh, we need these people who are excited about the Blomkamp film in the theater. What do we do? How do we give them in the theater? Even I think the first teaser, you see the alien grinning on the top of that dropship or whatever, and they they totally show you the beast, which they shouldn't have done. None of Covenant was, I mean, again, I think that first 45 minutes was really mysterious and quiet and great, despite it being a beat for beat repeat of Alien in some ways. None of it was mysterious. None of it had any of the mystery of that Alien had. And again, it was because the marketing department, and I almost feel like Fox at the time were like, oh, fuck, what do we do? What do we do with this? How do we sell this movie? Let's sell a movie we're not going to make. Let's sell a movie we're not making or a movie that wasn't made. And I think that that was part of the problem of Prometheus. And I've said this before, like, I want to see the movie. I want to see the Prometheus they advertise in the trailer because I did not get that movie in the theater. And then you have that with Covenant, like tenfold. Yeah, I think with Covenant, like you were saying, we didn't know what we were getting when they, it came out. And I don't think we know what we were getting as we were watching it. You know, I it's it literally is like three different movies and you can almost see at certain points the transition of thought where, oh no, now we've got to give them this. You can see that evolution of, you know, there's all this this chatter Prometheus didn't quite work out, so we can't really go in that direction. And clearly aliens is what everyone wants to see, but that's not what we have. So we got to move more toward that. And in the process, we got this jump. We got this, you know, this movie that doesn't even know what it is. Um, It's you can't describe Covenant. (laughs) in a few sentences because it is so different based on what hour or what minute you're seeing it. Um, So I think Blomkamp, whether he set out to sabotage, I don't know if that was his intent. There was a little bit of petulance there. Like I didn't get what I wanted. I'm just going to 
put it out there and and let the people decide, right? Like he needed that feedback, I think, from the people to kind of confirm like, yeah, see, it should have been me, you know, just to, to kind of stroke his own ego a little bit. That's that's where I think it was happening. And I think that definitely stirred the pot. It's all about stirring the pot, getting people talking about him, right? To prepare for like his next film coming out, just getting getting him his name out there and having people talk about him, which worked. People were talking about him. I think that that poster for Alien Covenant is maybe the best example of that. Oh my God, how are we going to sell this? Because although the art style feels evocative of the influences that Ridley Scott was pulling from, it's a pile of aliens. It's like a dozen aliens on this, on this poster. And that is not this movie. And I remember I used to work in a video store and the, the, the movies that had embossed covers or like holograms, anything that they did to, to kind of pimp out the packaging, that was a bad movie guaranteed. It was, they were taking a piece of crap and they were trying to catch your eye so that you'd rent it. So that poster is that, pinging that that bit of everyone's memory like oh yeah yeah wasn't there going to be a a sequel to aliens maybe this is it maybe this is that thing i heard about and then on the other hand in the actual film there are two two moments or two design elements almost the bridge of the covenant has these structures that look like the legs of the power loader it's a very pistony kind of industrial shape that it would make more sense in, in I don't know, uh, Robotech or something like where the ship could transform. I, I still don't know what this is from, but it feels evocative of something that James Cameron would draw. So that's always interesting to me. And then the whole dropship sequence, that's Ridley Scott doing what James Cameron did. And I don't mean that in a bad way at all, but from the helmets to the way they're strapped in, to the choppiness, even the dialogue, it's clunky, but it's a little bit closer to Aliens dialogue. So that may have been a point where he was, he was meeting them halfway and saying, okay, you know, I'll, I'll bring in a little bit of this stuff, but then for how little the, the rifles and the weaponry are actually used in the movie, they take up so much time in the trailers where they feel really integral to what they're selling. And so I, do you guys know, when did the first Suicide Squad movie come out? Because that was a film where you know, they hire an outside company to cut the trailer and the trailer did so well that they panicked because it didn't represent what the film was. And so they had, they took the movie away from the original director and gave it to the company that made the trailer to make more of the same crazy music video kind of stuff. And I'm just curious if this was in a similar time when. uh, Yeah, that that was 2016. So close. Yeah. Yeah. They were at the San Diego comic-con the same year that aliens 30th was celebrating. So I remember. Yeah. So that was that year. And there was a lot of clamor for that as well. Oh, sure, sure. And that's that's the trouble, I think, with marketing is, I mean, oftentimes these these trailers are farmed out. Some Depends on who the director is, though. Some directors are really, really involved in the trailers, um, and they, they will be there to put together the trailer because they want the trailer to reflect the vision of the film. Um, but I, I don't know what Fox was doing. I don't know what Production House had the the footage from for alien covenant i feel like at that point ridley scott was already on to the next 10 projects at you know the movie was done he cut it he was moving on it was in the the hands of the studio so they're trying to market this film and i i think that's the problem with 
trailers is they can be dishonest. Patrick and I, and you know, the people who are fans of uh, Blade Runner 2049 experienced something similar where the trailer for Blade Runner 2049 wasn't really the story that we got. Now, fortunately, that was a masterpiece of a film. So in light of that, it didn't, doesn't really matter. Um, But at the same time, if you're going to go to a movie based off a trailer, you want to see the movie that they're advertising in the trailer and you don't see it. Um, And that's, that's a big, big problem. And I, I think Disney has problems with that with Star Wars. Disney will advertise a certain show or certain thing and what we end up getting is not like obi-wan kenobi or something like that but i I feel like with um covenant and with the exist with blomkamp sort of living and breathing that during that time in terms of his his project and his project really wasn't canceled until after covenant came out isn't that right because at first it was we're going to wait they're going to wait to make this movie to let ridley scott do what he's going to do and then we're going to do our movie do we ever have any announcement of this project from Fox versus Blomkamp saying Fox said that this is happening. You know? It- yeah, I don't think Fox ever formally refuted it or even addressed it, but I do I do know that there were sources within Fox, quote unquote, for the Hollywood Reporter, like the article that we were talking about, but that was never like an official studio statement or anything. Yeah. That's a good point. I feel like all of it was just this big mess. It was a big mess that Fox had on their hands and you also had Ridley Scott in the in, involved, and he was very um, petty about it, but also very uh, possessive about. Well, this is my alien. This is what I want to do. I choose the guy who's under that. In that, you know, like even with Prometheus and the discussion around what the engineers were, who they were, who was in the space jockey. Ridley Scott was very much like, well, I'm the one who made the first film. I mean, this is almost verbatim. He says this on camera. I'm the one who makes the first film, so I'm the one who gets to decide who was in that chair. Okay. That's fine. Um, even though I really think your audience should decide who's in that chair. Um, this might be a film that you made, but this is a film that you released into the world. So you have to kind of uh, also respect how the world perceives it at the same time, to some degree. Any rate, uh, I, I, I think uh, going back to Blomkamp, I don't, like I said earlier, I don't think that there was a win here with Fox. I don't think that there was a win here with Ridley Scott. But what I think what was unfortunate is the spin that happened about Alien Covenant towards the end when it didn't do very well and they blamed it on the existence. We had to put aliens in there and we shouldn't have done it. And, you know, Ridley Scott says, my instincts with Covenant were right or with Prometheus were right. People really weren't looking forward to the alien. At the same time, you have an alien bursting out of an engineer at the end. So you gave him what they wanted. I mean, it wasn't, you didn't not do it. You just didn't do it all throughout the film. As we continue forward in this discussion, it, it becomes more murky. It gets worse and for me. It, it doesn't, Covenant is all over the place. And we've discussed this when we had those more formal talks about Alien Covenant in terms of it's one film at the at one point and then it becomes another film and then when david and walter are talking it turns into a little bit of blade runner then it becomes something else then there's that breaking of the fourth wall when you hear david play the theme for prometheus to himself and then you you know you got this chest bursting thing happening where the alien comes up and holds out its arms which is weird and then you get on board of you get on board the covenant and you snap into alien vision. Like it's alien three. This film is all over the fucking place. I think it speaks to a lot of the insecurities that have really plagued this franchise. I hate that word, this saga from the very beginning. And a lot of the issues that I think we've run into 
whether it be from the studio not knowing what to do or the producers disagreeing about the vision or the director feeling you know cornered or how large does Ridley's influence really deserve to loom over it. There's a lot of things that have plagued this from the beginning. And I guess, so I have a couple things to say about that. The first thing I want to say is that is ultimately why I'm never that excited about new announcements anymore for this. Like I have not been like frothing at the mouth to like hear about new, you know, premieres of things. I'm not like crazy about the Noah Hawley series. I'm not like, I don't need to see Fede's footage or anything. I'm a little bit more kind of like, let's just kind of see what happens. <laughs> like It's okay. Not because I'm prepping myself for disappointment, but more because I don't, I don't really need more. Like I, I just don't, I don't need this to become McDonald's where it's just, just every two years, something comes out. Like Christian was saying, you know, I, I similarly have all, I mean, I actually, there's one recent one that I didn't get, which I won't say which one it was, but I have basically everything Titan has ever published about alien. And, um, I'm not even reading them anymore. I'm like, I, I like, you know, I'll read one or two of them in a year, but like, I don't, I don't, I don't need this much alien content. Like my head has enough of it as it is. And the things that I love, I really, really love. So all this is to say that, like, I don't know who's asking for it as much as the studio seems to think is asking for it. I guess maybe I do, because I guess the Blomkamp thing is a good indication that people actually are. Um, and I guess to kind of get back to that for a second, you know, I made a statement earlier at the beginning of the episode where I was talking about how I think this would have been a hit, you know, had this been what they went with, even if it hadn't been, hadn't been very good. And I still kind of stand by that. But then I think, you know, the so the top three highest grossing horror films of all time, right? First is Jaws, second is The Exorcist, and third is The Sixth Sense, which I guess you can classify as being a horror movie. Those are movies that like made insane amounts of money on very small budgets, and really small budgets, genuinely. And um, they all became the only thing that anybody was talking about. The It movie that came out a few five years ago, chapter one or part one. Similarly, that was all that anybody talked about. I saw that movie fucking four times in the movie theater, right? You can have a straight horror film that has that similar zeitgeist moment. Look at Paranormal Activity. You know, like there's movies that just break through and become what you dare your friends to go see with you. You know what I mean? And we, so it's not like we couldn't have had a huge success from that as well but it takes it takes vision but more than anything else it takes like not being too worried about what everybody else has to say about it and that's where i push back a little bit on what jamie was saying earlier about ridley not so when we were talking about um like who has the right to say what's in the what's in the uh in the egg or in the chair right like to to me, I actually want the director to do what Ridley did, but in a less asinine way, because he's just such a jerk about it. But like, I don't want a director who's like, well, what are the what are the what does the audience want? What do the critics want? What does the studio want? What does the writers want? What do, you know, like I want somebody to say, I have a vision. I'm not going to be a jerk about it, but like I have a story to tell, and I'm going to tell it, and I don't fucking care if it has the exact amount of dropships that somebody wants an alien movie to have, but like. This is what my vision is going to be, which again, brings back to Fede, who to me feels like that kind of person. Like, I feel like he has a story to tell and he's not, it feels to me like it's going to be an authentic movie. Um, but the Blomkamp movie, you know, the, the fact that it never got made, I think it just kind of opens up this, this window into like some of the insecurities that run through not only fandom, but the studio, like people don't really know what to do with this thing. And the Blomkamp movie had it been made would have had a huge budget. I mean, like look at look at Avatar, you know, The Way of Water to break even that needed to make 1.4 billion 
dollars, right? I'm not saying that that's what this Blomkamp movie would have been, but it clearly would have been a much larger film, right? In terms of set pieces, in terms of assets, in terms of, you know, CG. And I know Blomkamp's a whiz with that stuff, and I'm sure he could have made it cheaper than a lot of other people could have, but that would have been a big film. And a big film needs a big return to be profitable, right? I guess this is my super weird, long-winded way of getting back to this idea that, like, to me, the future is in Fede's movie. To me, the future is small. The future is tight and self-contained. It is not dragging Ripley and Hicks and Newt back, scarred and thirty years older. To me, it is. It is like this is this is another glimpse into horror, and this is another glimpse into the human condition. And when this movie is over, you never have to interact with these people again because they exist in a separate world that doesn't have to always be searching for a distress beacon right to me on the topic of needing like what do we need like i don't know if we need anything in terms of more movies how many movies have been made throughout history hundreds of thousands millions maybe millions of movies i don't know at at least at least 10 (laughs) uh we don't need any more content than we have we don't but i think again and i'm gonna pivot around this and i've said this so many times but For me, there was a need to see Ripley again in the Blomkamp film because I feel like she was the anchor point. And if we didn't have anything else, we had her. So if they're going to bring her back, let's do it because at least I can kind of rest in that. At least I can see her. Like if we have nothing else, there's Ripley. And maybe she's dead, but she's not dead anymore. And here she is. Even Ripley 8 from Resurrection, there was a comfort to her there. She was a version of Ripley, but that was also the Ripley we knew in many ways. So as shitty as that movie is, I love seeing her in it. It feels like home. Having her there feels like home in the middle of this real garbage film in some ways. And I think Blomkamp's film would have probably have been better than than Resurrection. Uh, how much better, I don't know. Probably would have looked better. Would have probably felt more congruous with aliens for sure, especially with knowing that um, Blumkamp had been talking to James Cameron and there had been discussions there and maybe Cameron read a pitch or a script or whatever he read. I don't really know. Moving past that, like I, there was a need for me to see Ripley because I've been so disappointed and addressing this idea of what we need from alien. Like for me, I love immersive, intense sci-fi. I love sci-fi that brings me into the world and I can't breathe until it's over. That doesn't happen a lot. It happens, of course, with the three films. I think there is an immersive quality to Resurrection as bad as it is. It feels immersive. You're in this kind of wacky, zany parody world, and there's there's Ripley. It's immersive, but it's just not that good. But I, I love sci-fi that does it. I was just watching 2001 the other day um, at my friend uh, Blake's birthday, and we were just everyone in the room just kind of stopped and were watching it when they reached the monolith, when all of the the people in the suits reached the monolith and how immersive that was and how frightening that was. Even though you're not seeing a creature, you're not seeing anything, you're just seeing this monolith sitting there and you hear that buzzing and how amazing that was. That's the kind of sci-fi I live for. And I want more alien, not because I feel like we need more alien, but because there's so much potential in that world that has gone untapped. Because you had studios who don't know what to do. Now, I am I'm more excited about the Holly series, I think, because maybe Ridley Scott has is an executive producer, but it seems like he's only an executive producer in name. I feel like Noah Hawley has been given the reins based off his prior work and continuing work on FX, the Le- Legion, on um, 
Fargo. And then what was his other series he did? I can't remember the other one. There was one more. At any rate, he's got a, a really good name for himself. He's produced property that has been nominated and has won uh, Golden Globes and Emmy Awards for how good it is, how well it's been made, how well it's been acted and produced and scored and all of those things. So Noah Hawley, to me, is the mystery box. Noah Hawley series is a series I'm looking forward to even more than this film because I have no idea what we're going to get, none whatsoever. And I think with Alien, with Fede's Alien film, we do know more now. We know a little bit more about the story. We know um, about the cast. We know that it's a group of young people on another planet um, who, you know, come in contact with the alien in, in any way. It feels more connected to the first alien film, whereas the Holly series, I don't know what it's connected to. I don't know what kind of world he's going to create. So answering that, I, I, I don't know if, Talking about need is fair because what do we really need? Do we need to buy another t-shirt? Do we need to buy another book? We don't. We don't need any of those things. It's not about need. I think it's about it's about more than that. It's about telling stories in the alien universe that are worth telling. And that's what I'm for. I was going to bring up the fact that Ridley Scott is a gatekeeper on this and that he steps in as an executive producer on Blomkamp's film. It goes away. He steps in as an executive producer on Noah Hawley's project. It gets delayed for years. He steps in as a, as a producer on the Fede Alvarez film. That doesn't seem to be having a negative impact. Um, in fact, it, it appears that Ridley Scott was the, the driving force on getting it made. But he didn't write Alien. Four other people, four very talented people wrote that film. So when he takes credit for story ideas from that movie, I, I, take, I take issue with that. Now, Jamie, I'm going to push back a little bit. We have a lot of knowledge, sadly, about the Holly story. We know when it takes place, where it takes place. He, he just can't stop talking about how, how much of a knot he's tied himself up in setting it on Earth at that time. It's so stuck in the middle of the sprawling timeline. And that's where the Fede Alvarez film, that one sentence, a group of people on a faraway planet with an alien, Beautiful. It, it could be set hundreds of years after resurrection for all I know. doesn't matter. It's separate. It's its own contained story. And that's a, a great thing. But back to Ridley Scott there. I, I'm not saying that he is making Noah Hawley Stahl's project. I understand that Fargo comes first uh, for, for different reasons, but it, it's still... When Noah Hawley first announced his series, it wasn't clear if Ridley Scott was done making movies or making alien movies. And so when his name was announced as, as being involved, like, Oh God, we're going to have the Blomkamp thing happen again. That's how I felt. Andy, what did, did you have a feeling like that? That, well, I think anytime anything's announced that Blomkamp is going to come up, anything new, it's just going to reinvigorate that, but going off and, and kind of jumping off on that point. Um, when you guys were talking about, what the people want or for, you know, what they need um, and how covenant sort of redirected based on what they thought the people wanted to me, it was this, that's where they missed the mark. They, they thought people wanted more aliens. They wanted Marines. They completely underestimate the love that people have for Ripley and Hicks and Newt. That's what people wanted. They don't need more aliens. They don't need people who look like Ripley. 
or look like these people. They wanted Hicks and Newt to be alive. You ask anyone who clamored for that movie, that's what they want to see. Whether they have a happy ending or not, they wanted to see them again. And so no matter what they were going to do with Covenant to change it, to feel like they were going to give them that, if if Newt and Hicks were not in it, people were not going to get what they wanted from that film. So I think the fact that they even tried to relate it to something aliens-like is where they failed. They they should have just stuck to their guns and said, this is not Hicks, this is not new, you're not getting them, this is what it is, because it just pissed people off more, I think. That's my take. You know, being one of those people who absolutely was crushed when Hicks and New died in the beginning and the way they did it. Um, that's what people want. And so I think, you know, I don't think it's about giving them more, giving them more. You're never going to please those people if you're not bringing those characters back. And you just have to stick to your guns with what you are giving the people. That's my take. They just have to have confidence. And here's this story. We're not going to make people look like Ripley. We're not going to try to design it so that you think you're getting Marines, but you're not. It, it, it's its own thing. And I think people would be less pissed off. People who are not going to care about a new Aliens movie are just not going to see it. I know they want those people in the seats, so maybe they want to trick people. But I think you're going to get a less pissed off audience who maybe you're going to stick around for the next thing that you're going to give instead of cutting them out by promising them something that you're not going to deliver on. I think that's a really good point. Yeah. Um, You know, I've I've been thinking about this a little bit lately because I'm currently in my third consecutive playthrough of the Dead Space remake and I'm getting ready for my fourth consecutive playthrough of it because I'm I'm just addicted to that game and that franchise and I just adore it. And it recently has uh, shoved aside what had been my second favorite game of all time and it is now my second favorite game ever made. And I was talking about this with with Micah, who's been watching all these playthroughs with me and is somehow not bored of it yet. And she was like, why is Alien Isolation not in your top three? Because like you play it all the time. You clearly love that game. And the reason it's not is because it feels like exactly what you're talking about, Andy. And I'm not knocking Alien Isolation, which I think is an incredible masterpiece. But the fact that it's like Ripley's daughter... You know, it's just, it's like close to what we had. And, you know, it's, it's the Sevastopol is so much like the Nostromo and it's like so close to it that it's like a sensory experience of going through the original movie. But for the story of it, to me, has never been why I play it. Um, and not, not to say it's a bad story, but it's a story. And not even to say that it's a derivative story because although it, it is in a lot of ways what you would consider to be derivative, it's the same IP holders and it's the same, you know, it's 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 not like it's not like a knockoff product of Alien, but it's just so clearly so whole wholly referential to to Alien. And I think you're right. I think that if you tell people that they're gonna get a facsimile of something, then you know, they're going to see it as a facsimile and not as the actual real thing, you know? And the reality is, is that no matter what we do, like we are going to exist in a universe where Alien 3 did happen, even if that tries to get written out of continuity. And I, I personally think that it will be at some point because I think most of the public does not like that movie. 
And again, like I said in the last episode, nobody who made it likes that movie. Like it's a movie that is a very low hanging fruit to be retconned, right? And I think that it, will, it probably will happen at some point. And I think that even when that does happen, we will have to reconcile the fact that we live in a world where that movie did get made and where those characters were killed off in such a hard way and where Ripley had such a difficult ending. And so like, to me, if if we did get a new movie from Blomkamp or whomever, where we did get Ripley and Hicks and Newt back, like I would never be able to fully accept that that was them again because I would have in my head also Alien 3, which even if we we're supposed to be forgetting about it, like I'm never going to forget about it because it's one of the most impactful things in my life, you know, that art has ever produced. Like I fucking love that movie so much. And so that's that's the conundrum we find ourselves in, right? Like we can never actually get the real thing back. Like we can't. Even if we're told that we've we've retconned it into reality again, so like, what do, what do we do with that? And that's kind of the impossible nugget at the at the center of this thing. Andy made a really really good point. Something I didn't think about um, in terms of people not getting Ripley, Newt, and Hicks again, and people wanting that. And um, I do uh, appreciate from this the from Disney and. FX or 20th Century Studios is as as we've gone along with these new projects with the Fede film with the Holly series they have said this is not a Ripley story that was really really smart for them to do to set this up whereas I I don't think in Covenant that when before Covenant release that was ever said I don't know if it needed to be said but it was such a confusing thing that I think there were really people who went in that film thinking they were going to see Blomkamp's film really and truly. And I think there was so much confusion about it that even before that, I remember, and I've said this on the show years and years ago, when I first went and saw Prometheus, might've been my second screening. I was sitting in front of uh, this couple and it was towards the end and the, the deacon is bursting out of the engineer's chest. And there's this guy sitting there, this guy and his wife. And he's like, is this an alien movie? It's like, I I think this is an alien movie. It's like, is that an alien? He didn't know. He didn't know what he was seeing. If your audience doesn't know what they're seeing, that is a problem. That is a big problem. And the buildup, because of Blomkamp's uh, presence and all of those mixed signals and mixed signals in announcements and then recanting announcements and then pushing it off or we're going to wait or it's going to stop or whatever, you had all of these people going to a movie theater having no clue what they were about to see, none whatsoever. Um, and again, not just no clue what they're about to see in terms of, is this going to include Ripley and Newt and Hicks? Also hoping for those who had seen Prometheus and liked it, no idea that what they were about to see was going to destroy what we had seen in Prometheus. So you, and I, I mentioned this in our, in this synopsis for what we were going to discuss. I'm of the opinion that I feel like maybe Blumkamp's film didn't kill the IP, it stopped it dead in its tracks. At that point, after Covenant, it, it really lost a lot of money. It was dead for, for all intents and purposes until Disney bought out Fox and everything was brought in. And then I think, what was it, three years later, they make an announcement for the Holly series. But it really died. Like, it really, it felt like it was over. And then you had a fan base that was really just, I don't know, just the most toxic I'd ever seen the fan base be at that point. Uh, it's not like that anymore, uh, depending on where you go, but generally it's not like that. But I, I do, I really think that the whole Blomkamp debacle really, really uh, affected Covenant and then 
ended Fox's interest. And I remember after Covenant came out, I think Stacy Stacy Snyder, I think she was the vice president of film. I'm not saying her title correctly. I can't remember specifically. She, uh, I think in the Hollywood Reporter or another uh, official outlet, she had went on record saying Covenant did not perform the way we, we wanted it to perform. So we're going to go back to the drawing board to see what we can do. And of course, that's how it was left until Disney bought out uh, Fox. In my opinion, I don't know how you guys feel, but it, it was a really sad time for the IP. It was a really sad time to be a fan because nobody got what they wanted. And I, I don't, to a point that you were making, Patrick, I don't think that filmmakers and auteurs should be like, what does the audience want? Let's do it. I'm not saying that at all. What I am saying is that, for instance, with Star Wars and you know the whole Han shot first and all of that, that was raging for years People were angry and furious about that change for years. There is something to be said about when you deliver a, a product to an audience, a film like that to an audience, and you have it a certain way, and you set up those expectations, and then go 30 years later, 25 years later, whenever he changed, whenever Lucas changed that that dynamic in uh, the cantina, audience felt betrayed by that. It was emotional betrayal. And I'm not just in, in the realm of movies, it was not the film that they had seen before. It just wasn't. So I fully believe that what uh, Ridley Scott did in Prometheus, people responded the same way, not because they were like, this is my movie and I control it. This is what you set up. No one knew what this thing was. One of the, one of the most amazing things about alien was that this thing was the space jockey was a mystery and you have come 35 years later or 30 years later or whatever and said, oh, sorry, that's not what I meant. This is always what this is always what it was. Bullshit. And I, I think when you betray an audience that way, especially your fans, a lot of people felt, felt betrayed by that. Some people were like, hey, I love the engineers like me. I love the engineers. I still don't think that was an engineer in the space jockey suit, but I, I love the the design of an engineer. But when you feel when you've betrayed an audience that way, you've lost their trust. So you have a, a fandom and an audience where their trust has been lost for these films over and over and over. And then they get this glimmer of hope with the Blomkamp film, Ripley, Newt, the story everyone always wanted. They're back together. Alien 3 didn't happen. Here we go. And then you cancel it. Then people are raging and irate. And what do you expect them to be? What do you expect them to be after that? Um, and I, I'm not saying the answer is, Disney or 20th century films to go, Oh, we're scared. Let's go give them like, that's not the answer to go and fan service. I mean, as much as I love the Mandalorian, it's full of fucking fan service and I'm tired of it. It's so, it gets so boring. Um, one of the amazing things about the last of us is there's no fan service. This is a completely new thing. I mean, there's fan service in terms of people who played the game and seeing things there. Um, but it's not dependent upon other things stories told within that universe that they're winking to all of the time. These studios are so bent on winking back and they're bent on um, Easter eggs that is derailing everything. It's derailing everything. And even the best of it, which was some of the best of it, which was Mandalorian, it's still weighed down by all of the fan service that Dave Filoni and John Favreau throw in it. Why Andor was so amazing is because it lacked almost all of any of it. And what we did see wasn't, Oh, look, we have this helmet from nothing was ever said. We just see a couple things here and there. And that's some of the best Star Wars I've ever seen, ever.
period, end of story. And I think that's how you tell further stories in in the alien world. You tell them um, without feeling like you have to franchise everything, the word that no one likes. You, you tell stories where um, they they are like Fede's film, they are um, self-contained. You know, I am a little bit worried that if Fede's film is too connected to established work, it's going to be winking back and um, tips of the hat to, oh, look, this is the this was the Nostromo. This was someone said LV426. I, I'm concerned about that because we don't need that. You need to just tell a good story. And I think um to relate it back to Blomkamp, because I know that was a, a tangent, uh, I, I think the film would have been successful for sure. In, ter- in terms of dollar amount and maybe the first two or three weekends people go in there because they're seeing like the dream team back on, on, on the big screen. But I don't really know if uh, I-, I still think the IP would have been a mess. Well, I think when you were talking about the anger and, you know, people wanting a certain thing and then they like took it back. I think the anger was so pronounced too, because it didn't, it wasn't just, Oh, here are some shots, and here's a thing that might happen. It's because Sigourney talked about how much she wanted it, and then it became real. You know, I think that's that's where the anger was, and it was out there, and it was from her mouth, and you can't take that back. I mean, you did, and that, but that's where the anger came from. It became real when she said it, and so in everyone's mind, oh, this is happening. It's a go. And then more and more people. And then Michael's talking about it. And like, and then you were like, oh my God, this is happening. And then just like in Alien 3, which I know we all love, but it felt like that again, like they were ripped out from us again. And so now you just made everyone way more angry than they had been for the last 25 years. So I think it back, I mean, the whole thing just did not go the way any of it should have gone because it backfired. You you stoked the flame in the wrong direction where you wanted to stoke it for this new film coming out. You just completely cut people off. And I think the fact that it had, you know, Sigourney was already involved. Had it just been murmurings, people could have accepted like, oh, just a rumor. When it was out there, I think that sealed the deal. The Blomkamp issue is also a case in point of why social media and the new normal that we live in is so can be so toxic because there's this constant news cycle. So there's always something being released, always something being dropped, always commentary being given. Blom can't my say it was 1985 and say, just, just say there was a Blom camp back then. And he's talking about a movie. We'd have never heard about it. Never heard about it unless maybe Starlog published it or some sci-fi magazine or premier magazine or entertainment weekly back then. Um, but now we, we hear every little thing that people have to say because everyone has a Twitter account. Everyone has an IG. So it's, it's almost like we're set up to fail, which is probably why a lot of directors and artists don't talk about their next project because they don't know to your point, you made Patrick before, I think on the last episode, these projects get canceled all of the time. And in light of that, you should probably be careful about what you talk about, which a lot of directors are. A lot of directors might talk to you in in private about what they have going on, but they are not going to make a public statement about it because it could either help it or kill it. Oftentimes it kills it. But then you have things like, look at, look at Oppenheimer, right? Like that's a movie that I'm, I'm sure we're all looking forward to. I, I personally, I'm extremely excited for that movie. 
And I know very, I mean, I know obviously historically what happened, but like other than the fact that it stars Cillian Murphy, that it's it's Nolan, like I, I really know very little about that film and it's coming out in a couple months and that's a huge release for 2023. And to me, like that's that's the way forward from this, you know, like to me, like Holly, like for, for all the times that we get frustrated by not knowing much about the Holly series, about like what, what's going on, like what's the production schedule, like I'm kind of glad that we don't have that, you know? I'm kind of glad that like so far for the Fede film, we have little drips and drabs and we have like little statements that we've gotten here and there and it hasn't felt like guarded and it hasn't felt defensive, but it's felt like this is our project, like give us some space to work on it. And, um, you know, just kind of as we come to a close here, Jamie, you touched on something really important, I think, which is that this to, to me really was the first time the internet became as toxic as it would go on to be in the years to come. Like, I feel like before this, I lived in this like kind of naive bubble, you know, like Facebook, as I've said before, launched like while I was a college student and I was one of the first couple thousand people, maybe first 40,000 people on it, I think, because it was just a small network of, of colleges in our, in New England, you know, in Stanford. And, um, and it was like such a naive, like peaceful place that was so nice. And then it's like, as the years went on and it got opened up more and more, it became kind of weirder and, and more twisted, but like it was still okay. And there were still fan groups. And then when the Blomkamp thing happened, that was the first time I was like, oh, this is like a really contentious environment now. Like the, the, the nature of the dialogue was so strange to me. And that, for me personally, really set me up for failure in terms of social media. Like the reason why I really don't use it anymore is 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 starts with Blomkamp. Like it starts with that whole just fighting with people about this fucking movie that never came out, and then going to see Covenant and loving it, and still loving it to this day for all of its flaws, and feeling so ostracized because of it because so many people were so angry that it even existed in the first place. And you know, I, like I understand why, but like it was weird to go and actually enjoy it. And then be a member of a community that was like, how dare you express joy about this thing that we feel so incredibly hateful about? It was such a strange time. That being said, though, had Covenant never came out the way that it did, I would probably never have been on this podcast because like, the reason I'm on it is because we talked about Alien Covenant and I pushed back a little bit and said, I, it, it might be nice to have a slightly different viewpoint on it. I, I, bet, I bet that would be a fun episode to dialogue about, you know? And here we are five years later and hundreds of thousands of downloads later still doing it. Almost six years later. Almost six years later. Yeah. And, and you know, with no end in sight and loving it. And, you know, you are one of my closest friends in the world and we see each other multiple times a year and like... You know, I, without Blomkamp, would that have happened? Like, I, I don't know, you know? Like, that's the thing is, is that there's this, like, huge event that happened that has all of these weird little spiderwebs in our lives now. And, you know, I think back to Vincent Ward and his treatment of Alien 3 and about how, what a non-event his killing off Hicks and Newt was. Like, that was something that he just did because he just didn't want to deal with their characters in the movie that he was making. And it was something that I can just picture him sitting in New Zealand, you know, not being an alien fan, but having been approached by the producers because of this medieval time travel fantasy movie and being like, eh, eh, let's just go. we'll get rid of him. You know, I don't, I don't know what to do with him. We'll, we'll deal with this later. And then here we are now, you know, almost 35 years later, or I guess, you know, slightly more than that, less than that rather. And uh, it's late. Give me, give me, give me a break. Um, 
and and we're still dealing with the fallout from the emotional upheaval of somebody just sitting at a desk in New Zealand deciding to not write a couple characters into his movie. You know what I mean? Like without that happening, there would be no Blomkamp film proposal because the whole crux of that thing was bringing them back because Sigourney Weaver was on board and they were making this piece of shit chappy together and she was like yeah we could really make that happen and then all of a sudden this movie that never existed exists right and here we are now talking about it and it's wild it's just i I guess my closing thought is it's just it's it's a real marker of how different the world is in 2023 versus 2015 because I mean, really, 2014, this was announced. It was the the very literally first day of 2015, and like how much more simple and naive and uncynical I was about the internet back then, and how quickly things started to change. Because it's like within a year we have Cambridge Analytica, and we have all of this shit with with GDPR, you know, needing to get passed, and it's like things just took off so quickly. But this was like the last gasp of the naive pre-modern era internet. For me, as an alien fan, and I, I still feel that fallout every day. Well, I'm happy to have Andy on here because, as you guys know, the film Alien Three isn't isn't even my favorite sequel to Aliens that exists. So, the Blomkamp film does hold a special place in my heart as the possibility of a different direction. And at that point, I think when it was announced, I hadn't even seen Elysium. I was just going on District Nine which I still have issues with. There's some very clunky parts to that movie, especially when it's pretending to be a documentary and yet the camera angles don't make sense. But anyway, oh, Blomkamp. So happy to have Andy to, uh, to split our, our opinions a little more evenly on this show and, and represent some other viewpoints because very clearly there are people who will always hold a torch for the potential, the, the thing that Blomkamp spread the artwork from and the Sigourney Weaver talked so approvingly of and James Cameron said was good. I mean, it just, there, there was momentum there. As for Covenant, um, I, I saw it once in the theater and I was actually very happy with how bad the movie was because I wanted the whole thing to just end. I wanted Ridley Scott to be all done. Go, go make your gladiator sequels, do something different. And so we had a few years breather. I took, I took a huge break from social media as well because of all of this. And now we're going to get some new content with some new creators. Um, I still feel like Blomkamp exists in your brains, you two guys, as this specter. Um, Ridley Scott is responsible for all of Ridley Scott's mistakes. And as much as Blomkamp was there kind of sharing some stuff on the internet, I don't think that you can completely blame him for how poorly that film did. I don't blame him for how poorly Covenant did. I think, the blame is the people who are writing it thinking, Oh shit, we got to do something different. Now we can't make the movie we're going to make. I think Blomkamp was doing his thing. They chose to listen to people reacting to what Blomkamp was doing, as opposed to making actual sequel to Prometheus. I think that's really where the the blame lies. Now I think Blomkamp's a shit stirrer. And I think he's been stirring the pot since, since all of his movies got canceled. And since, demonic flop and again like we were talking about before nothing is his fault uh you know and you you can't live life that way you can't live life where any failure you're a part of is not you have it's not your fault you become a better person and a better artist by um 
acknowledging your failures. We all do as people. Um, it makes you look better when you can say, I'm sorry, or, hey, this didn't work out. And part of that blame is on me. Um, so to your point, Christian, I don't, I don't, I don't blame Blomkamp for the failure of covenant. I blame the people who were, who were distracted by the fans who were excited about what Blomkamp was doing. That's the failure there, as opposed to, um, you know, staying true to their original vision, really Scott trying staying true to his original vision and not uh, bowing to the studio. But I also think the studio was probably like, Hey, Ridley. Yeah. I know you have, you're going to make another movie, but look, look at what people are excited about. So I, I also think the studio strong armed him in a way to make a movie. He didn't want to make. It's clear he made a movie. He didn't want to make. You can tell by the way he talks about it. Like I put in aliens in there and look. Um, so I want to validate what you're saying, Christian. I'm just going to close on um, just reiterating one more time that based off the reaction of the whole Blomkamp thing and the, and the reaction still to this day, it's just a testament to how great these films are and how like the originals and how much people love the characters, I think above all else. So going forward, my hope is that these new projects just keep that in mind and create characters that people who die, you know, if they die in the movie, we're going to still, you know, mourn their death 20 years, 30 years from now, because that's really what it's about. It's identifying with these people and situations and, and acknowledging the humanity. So I hope that's what we get just based on the fact that people still love, you know, the Hicks and new and Ripley and and moving forward, hopefully these new young characters that uh, hopefully make their mark. So I'm looking forward to that. Amen. I love that perspective. Here's to 30 years from now, morning, great characters. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> All right. Before we leave, though, I think it's important for those of you listening. What do you think? Please give us your responses, your reactions. We really want to know what, besides the four of us think, like we want to know like what several of you think we're probably going to do another round table with this and just complete this, this series. Uh, but really that that's the big question. Like what were people thinking when they walked into covenant before, like what, what was going on? What, what, what did they think they were going to see? How much did Blomkamp's project and presence affect you about what you're going to see with covenant? So please write it right in. You can write us at contact at perfectorganism.com or perfectorganismpodcast at gmail.com, or you can go to our website and uh, write us in that way as well. We would love to hear from you guys. We're going to read some of your responses on air or when we record. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, guys. Thank you. For more on Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga podcast, please visit perfectorganism.com. Perfect Organism is available for listen or download through Podbean, iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, and Spotify. If you'd like to support the show, please visit perfectorganism.com forward slash support. Thank you.